Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. Today our topic is one that has been making headlines lately, and we thought we'd clear up some things for you. We want to talk telehealth now. Since we are 19 months into this pandemic, many practices have forgotten that the PHE still exists and there are still rules in place for Medicare claims and some private payers that have to be followed when billing for telehealth services. Tackling these topics with me today is fellow NSCHBC member, certified healthcare business consultant, David Zetter of Zetter Healthcare. David Zetter is the founder and president of Zetter Healthcare, LLC in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and has over 30 years of operational and healthcare experience. David is our current past president of the NSCHBC and an executive board member. David's expertise spans revenue cycle management, credentialing and contracting, compliance, coding, and documentation. He is one of the most respected, authoritative resources for Medicare rules and regulations. And David, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate it, and happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter, you guys. We, uh, For our listeners, we record no matter when we have to. <laughs> no holidays for us. So we wanted to really talk to you, and I'm referring to our listeners, about uh, telehealth now. I have been getting a lot of emails and uh, a lot of calls and just, you know, people saying, well, we want to, you know, do telehealth in the long term. We're going to continue to bill for things and one of the things that came in actually from one of the credentialing bodies for coding um, that I won't name but they basically sent me an email saying so we're having a lot of members saying that they are billing for office visits um, for audio only under Medicare and we just need to know what's the modifier Terry can you tell us because it wasn't in your article you said you can't do it and we just want to make sure that we can (laughs) I'm like under Medicare, no, if it's not audio and video, you cannot do that. But David, I wanted to kind of bring that to your attention and just say, you know, we're, we have a public health emergency scheduled to technically end um, October 21st, but I think you and I both know it'll probably be extended another 90 days, um, or at least to the end of the year. What is your feeling on the, the waiver rules right now and just where we stand? Let's talk Medicare first. Well, from the standpoint on the waivers for telehealth or telemedicine, um, you know, I recommend to all my clients that you follow the rules as closely to the T as possible. Um, You're much less likely to be audited. You're much less likely to get caught up in issues. Um, But, you know, there is a lot of confusion around this and you've got regulations from states, you've got regulations from the feds. Uh, Then you have, you know, the licensure question and all this other stuff. Um, From the standpoint for Medicare, you need audio and video. Um, And that's what I suggest setting up for telemedicine anyways, because you're going to need that when we go back and the waivers, the 1135 waivers are terminated. So why not set everything up properly to begin with? Uh, Get your team and your practice operating as you are going to do going forward in the future after the waivers are terminated and after the pandemic is over. And that way you're set up and you've practiced 
you've conducted your business the proper way, and then you don't have to worry about, you know, um, pivoting when the rules and the laws change. Um, it just makes sense that way. So try and I'm always about trying to be as efficient as possible and communicate the proper things uh, and the proper rules and regulations. That way, no one can get in trouble for this. And there's a ton of people out there that are conducting telemedicine business that aren't doing it appropriately. And eventually you're going to get caught, whether you mean to be doing it or not. And that's just going to cause you more delays, more disruptions in your business. And I just suggest if you're gonna get into doing something, even if it's new telemedicine services and so on, it behooves you to understand what the rules and regulations are with each payer, with the state that you're conducting the services in, even in the state that you may be seeing a, you know, where a patient sits, you need to understand or you should understand what those rules and requirements are. That way you're not breaking any of them and you're not going to get in trouble with all these governmental agencies that are monitoring and providing oversight to these services. And that would be my suggestion. Well, and also, you know, more to David's point too, remember there was a lot of discussion and right now we're dealing with payment parity, meaning that if you're doing an audio and video visit, you're getting this paid the same as a patient that comes in in person. And to be able to argue that you deserve that, it's supposed to be a visit that's as close as possible that you can get to that in-person encounter. And so, you know, when you dive away from that or you start adding services that you never billed for before. And I mentioned this in one of our telehealth webinars that we did through the NSCHBC because uh, David had mentioned something last year and I just, this sticks with me what you said. If you didn't do it before the PHE, don't do it now. So for an example, you know, did you, when you called patients and gave them a normal test result over the phone at the end of the day, you weren't billing for telephone calls. You weren't, you know, that's not patient initiated. That's not an office visit. It's just part of doing business. And I do see a lot of um, liberties being taken with certain things that are being reported. And also a lot of practices don't seem to understand what a QHP is, a qualified healthcare professional. I had one practice that told me that their medical assistants were billing the phone call codes for the QHPs. I know, David, believe me. Oh my me. gosh. I know. And I'm like, okay, have they ever been able to do that before? And they said, well, they want to just give them some information, you know, on where they can go get their prescriptions and we should get paid for that. I'm like, no, that's triage. <laughs> that's part of doing business. You know, they can't bill for anything unless the patients, though they can't bill for anything. But if the patient's in the office, there's an option with the nurse visit with the doctor there. And it's it's more, you know, of, a, of an in-person situation, but not through a telehealth situation. Oh, I definitely agree. I mean. You know, I'll just, let me just make a comment on that because, you know, you've got everyone sees these posts that you and I and Sean and many others do out there on social media yeah. about all the stupid criminals that are getting busted for these things that, you know, we all know are incorrect. Why would you start doing things like that? Um, you know, even trying to bill for a, a phone call where you're giving somebody the results of a diagnostic test and trying to bill for that type of service when you never did it before. Right. Um, why would you put yourself at risk? You're going to end up being a stupid criminal like we call all the other ones that get busted by the OIG. 
right. Um, even though you may not think that it's illegal, again, ignorance means nothing when it comes to the law and dealing with the federal government. Nothing. So it behooves you to know what the requirements are. If you're going to get into any business, you're required to know what the rules and regulations are in order to operate in that industry and provide those services. And it's no different in healthcare. And quite frankly, healthcare has more regulations and oversight to it than it has in past years. And it's just going to keep getting more regulated. So it behooves you to understand what those regulations are. Don't be ignorant about it. Learn what you need to learn. And if you're not sure, then find an expert such as Terry or myself or someone to help you through this so that you do it properly and you don't have the headaches of, you know, potentially being called a stupid criminal down the road. Right. I mean, that's just common sense. And right now, I think we lack a lot of common sense in this. And, and I agree. And, you know, if you ever want to follow anything, if any of you are on LinkedIn, follow the OIG. It's frightening. Just, they post, I would say, at least once a week about the telehealth fraud that they're finding. And they call it fraud. They're not calling it mistakes. They're not calling it, oh, you know, oversight. They're calling it fraud. And they're talking about millions and I think even billions of dollars on what they're they're capturing. But moving on to our to our rules and, and things that may have expired, one of the things that has come up recently is consents. So I know that when the, the Medicare waiver first came out, they said you had to get it, this was March of 2020, you had to get a consent for every single encounter. And then they said, okay, well, obviously that's silly. So a consent can be for a year, it's good for a year. Well, people, we are now 19 months into this. And so hopefully you've renewed those consents. And remember, consents isn't just for the patient to be treated. This is for you to bill their insurance and to collect their out-of-pocket. So know what the consent is for. They have to understand what they're going to be paying as a share of cost. That's really what where the consent is. And so um, make sure that you are getting those renewed. Well, let, and I'll add a comment to this. So yeah. Think about it this way, um, and, and this will really make the audience think here. So when you treat any patient, technically you're supposed to actually legally, uh, especially for ERISA claims, uh, and ERISA claims for those of you listening that aren't aware of what ERISA does, ERISA by law allows providers such as yourself to treat patients, bill for the services on behalf of the patient, because you need to obtain that permission and to accept reimbursement on behalf of the patient. If you don't have a properly signed assignment of benefits that's legally valid and properly signed by the patient, it only needs to be done once, then you have no legal right to bill their insurance or collect the money. Right. And payers are realizing this. And when you don't have that AOB, assignment of benefits signed, they can take back every cent that you ever collected from that patient. And it has been done. I've experienced it with a client, and that is why I make such a big deal about this. And that's the same thing with these consents. If you don't have a consent that gives you permission uh, from the patient to even initiate a telehealth or telemedicine visit, then you don't have permission and you cannot bill the insurance. Now, the insurance, when they go to do a review or an audit, they're going to ask for your intake paperwork. And that's where you need to supply these documents to show them you have received permission from the patient. Same thing with the assignment of benefits. 
You don't have the ability to have a patient sign that when you're doing a telemedicine visit, but you have to obtain that consent. And that consent form that gets signed should also have, in my opinion, an assignment of benefits clause on there for them to sign off on, which gives you the right to bill their insurance. Without it, you have no right to any money or to treat that patient. And that is only for ERISA claims. But Medicare also requires a valid AOB that's signed by each patient. Yeah. And when you have a client that has to return over $2 million, you can only imagine what happened to that client. They went out of business, they went broke, and they're still having to pay the government back. Yeah, it's, it's just not worth to to not know your rules and not follow your rules, which one of the things I just saw since I think I, re- I said at the beginning of the podcast that the telehealth visits for the government are on the OIG work plan January 2021. And ha- what they actually said in the work plan, if you haven't seen it yet, was that it's Part B telehealth services during the public health emergency. They're not even looking before it because they know that there's been some not only inconsistencies, but non-compliance. But one of the things that I'm constantly seeing when I'm auditing records, and just for our listeners to know, you know, David and I do do audits, not just for clients, but also for payers. So payers have engaged our services and and also myself on the, the Mac side with the Medicare payers. You know, they have us look at these things, you know, and when we look at them, one of the things that I've noticed is if you're not using your secure EMR platform and you're allowing the patient to continue to use their FaceTime or Skype or their smartphone, which is allowed under the public health emergency, you have to state that in your record. So you have to, because what they want you to say, and this is right under the the CARES Act, under the waiver, it says there has to be a statement that the patient was informed that it may not be HIPAA protected. So they may not have that privacy because again, it, it's not uh, protected um, under that, that HIPAA platform. It's, it's basically on their, fo- their phone. And so nobody's gone in there and made sure that nobody can access it, et cetera. And we've had some security breaches. And so that I've noticed has not been uh, in the notes. And one of the other things I've noticed is that a lot of practices say, well, the doctor says that it's a it's an audio video visit. And I'm like, no, what the doctors are saying is today I talked to the patient on the telephone. <laughs> and I'm like, if you say that in your note, I'm assuming it's an audio only call. And I'm like, nope, you get nothing. And the problem is, is that even if it was an audio only call visit and you have no time in there, those are all time based codes. So you still, you know, don't get to charge anything. And and I had a physician say, well, can't you just give me the minimum? And he says, because it shows that I at least spent, you know, 10 minutes. I said, no, time-based codes mean you have to tell us how much time you spent. We can't give you something as we can't assume anything within your note. So um, it's just, it's really a tough call right now. And, and, Prior to our, our podcast, David and I have a, a quick chat about things, and I, I wanted to bring this up, and because I, I think we're we're pretty much on the same page, but it's a healthy discussion when it comes to the realities of what is allowed under the CARES Act. So let me kind of preface this. So when this all came out at the start of the pandemic, which was March of last year. And they allowed and opened up all these services. And when I say they, I'm talking about Medicare and a lot of the commercial plans. 
Well, Medicare did it because, again, federal guidelines, and it was it was unfortunately it was also during a um, election year, and so that was a big big platform there. But I think the commercial plans knew that if they didn't come up with it, they were going to be forced to be very similar to what Medicare did. So they're like, okay, we're going to be proactive here. But what the CARES Act says is that it was these visits were opened up as far as payment on a telehealth platform to stop or slow the spread of COVID. And so, you know, are you still in that realm? Now, David, you can speak to this because you, you said that you feel that because it's allowed still under the CARES Act, and that's what the patient wants, there may be, I don't want to say a loophole, but there may be an argument um, to still be able to perform it, even if the office is open for in-person visits and they're following safety protocols. So can you speak to that? Well, yeah. So first off, you know, everybody has a choice in, in what they're doing and how they want to do it for the most part. Um, you know, we aren't going to get into the subject of mandates and the government telling us what we have to do. Right. Um, but human beings don't like doing that to begin with. No. So when you've got a patient that doesn't feel comfortable, I, I, I'll use my mother. I mean, my, my mom d- does not feel comfortable um, going into a, a lot of places right now. Um, you know, whether you're vaccinated or not, you can still catch COVID. So and whether other people are vaccinated or not, if everyone's vaccinated, they're still passing around COVID. So when you have a patient that doesn't feel comfortable coming to your office and they prefer to have a telemedicine visit, what are you going to do? Argue with the patient? I don't suggest that any of our clients or any of you out there argue with the patient. If that's the service that the patient wants, document it properly. Document the fact that you've obtained a consent because the patient has to initiate the very first telemedicine visit. And then from there, you've got that consent that can last up to a year. And then you can utilize that going forward. And if all the patient wants to do is, you know, make those visits for telemedicine and not come into the office, you've documented their concern. You've documented their preference. And what are you going to do? Tell Medicare or anyone else, I'm sorry, but the patient didn't want to come into the office. And I'm not just going to abandon the patient because that's against the law too. Right. So the, the challenge here is, is that you've got an awful lot of regulations being passed or waivers that are allowing us to do things. You've got politicians that are making all these decisions in a vacuum. They don't understand the process. You know, half of them, most politicians have never gone into a doctor's office because they've got their doctor on the hill that takes care of them. They aren't required to be covered under the same rules that you and me and most of civilization are required to operate under. Right. Uh, which, you know, all politics aside, that's a bunch of baloney as well. Right. But that's a different story for another day. The fact is, is that if a patient wants to do something and you're, you have that allowance to do so, and in my opinion, if a patient wants to have telemedicine visits, then give them the telemedicine visits. Just document everything properly. You've done everything that you're supposed to do. And the patient has advised you what they want. And there is an allowance for that. Right. Um, I realize that we're kind of splitting hairs in some cases. And in some cases, it looks like it's communicating, well, if you're open for business, why does the patient not come in? Well, if they don't want to come in, you can't force them to. So I suggest that you follow the patient's lead 
document the process and move forward. And if and when you have a problem with a payer, even if it's Medicare, um, we've got some good arguments to go up against Medicare and I'm pretty sure they're going to cave. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the biggest thing that you said is it's what the patient wants. Now, the only thing that I think could be a caveat with the um, the audits that are coming out as far as is it compliant is if there's something saying that it's for convenience. So if it is because the patient doesn't want to park or doesn't want to drive, but if they're concerned about coming to the practice or, you know, doing anything that could expose them, absolutely, David, you're right on. I think the uh, the patients that are saying, well, I'd rather just call in instead of having to, you know, drive to the office, that's where it gets a little sticky. Terry, here's even a, a better option for, for our listeners. Um, Develop and draft your consent forms to state just that, yeah. that the patient, you know, the patient is requesting a telemedicine visit because they do not feel comfortable coming into the office. Something to that effect. Put that in your consent form, have them sign it, and there you go. You've got a document. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a, a great way to do it. The other thing I've also added to my clients, and this is something you may want to consider uh, to our listeners, is also have something that is a list of when it should be a telehealth visit and when it should be an in-person visit. I'm noticing that there's a lack of that. So if the patient's calling up saying, I have chest pain and shortness of breath, you know, that is really hard to treat over the phone and over an audio video. And I know that a lot of the rheumatologists and a lot of the pain management physicians, they're like, I don't, I can't even do telehealth. Um, but if it's something that, you know, prescription drug management and things that can be, you know, patients pretty stable and controlled on their chronic conditions and they can be counseled over an audio video visit, then that's fine. But there should be a list and that can only come from your provider and, and your physicians and, and it gives more education to the patients on when it's appropriate and when they'd like to, you to, you know, you to be seen. So I think, I think that's important also to maybe have a plan on that. Yeah, I wanted to move on to state rules. So I sent you something just to, as we were preparing for this that I thought was interesting from New Jersey. I have a, a cousin whose daughter um, is, um, and I'll shout out Brianna Santoli. She's been on a couple of podcasts with me. Um, she's a healthcare attorney out of New Jersey. And she said, this is really an interesting thing. And it basically talked about the state, uh, the Jer New Jersey statement, a department of health, where it said that organizations that are, um, telehealth organizations have to register with Department of Health. There's a fee for it. But then it went on to say that organizations that provide telehealth or telemedicine services as well as in person are not required to register or pay. So did you see that and understand what that was? Um, yeah. So my understanding of this is if you're a so you've got organizations that just do telehealth or telemedicine services. And, you know, honestly, again, this is just my opinion. Um, I think New Jersey is just trying to get some additional revenue, um, and that's why they're doing it. But, you know, they get to do impose whatever regulations and fees that they want to. But um, the way I see this, because, you know, when you sent it to me and when I've read it, you've got it highlighted. In other words, organizations that provide telehealth or telemedicine services, as well as in-person evaluation and care services which is basically a doctor's office or a clinic, right. are not required to register or pay the registration fee. So in my opinion, if you're a telemedicine service, so you've got services out there that provide the doctors, you know, patients can just contact, I'm just, I'm not gonna say any names, 
But if it's a vendor out there that provides telemedicine services and they provide the provider that sees the patient and they don't have a brick and mortar clinic, those are the ones that are having to pay this fee and register. Okay. But if you're a physician's practice and, uh, you know, an independent practice or even a hospital owned practice or something like that, but you still have the ability for patients to come see you at a brick and mortar location, then you're left out of this requirement. This is only for those that just set up a telemedicine service and that's all they do. So I do have some clients that have started setting up their own businesses. They, you know, they come to us to be, to become a startup. We assist them with all that, get their insurance contracts and credentialing done. But I had one client that said all she wanted to do was provide telemedicine services. Mm -hmm. And I said, most payers aren't going to want to deal with you. Yeah, they're not. You need more than that. I mean, yes, you're providing patient access because they can get to you anytime, for the most part, anytime, and just do it through audio, video conferencing. But the fact is, is that payers, the insurance companies want more than that. So you've got a challenge of just providing telemedicine services and being able to participate. Otherwise, you're going to do a cash-only practice. And I advise the, our client that, look, you're going to want to possibly list yourself as doing home visits as well, uh, if you're willing to do that, uh, if you're not going to do a brick and mortar. Well, she agreed to that, uh, which uh, assisted us in obtaining those contracts. But then she eventually just said, hey, I'm going to, you know, lease an office space, an exam room from a fellow colleague, and I'll see patients there as well. And so she's, you know, golden at this point, but that's what I believe this rule is. And based on the language that I read, anyone that has a brick and mortar location would not be required to register or pay these fees. So it'd be more of a vendor type situation that offers that service. Okay, that makes sense. Now, just a, a, a side note, one of the things that came up in the uh, CARES Act, and actually this was also adopted by many of the commercial plans, was the fact that physicians could come out of retirement, not have to um, get their license back, and during the PHE could see patients across borders and and things like that. One of the things, and and the one of the things that I noticed when that happened, is that not everybody checked their malpractice coverage in their in their practice. And I was like, I had two practices, one in Arizona, one in Florida. And they said, hey, you know, Medicare says we can do this. We build for it. And now our malpractice is saying those doctors aren't covered. I'm like, yeah, if you if you would have taken my webinar, you would have known that. <laughs> I think the one thing, and this is, I don't know if you're finding this, David, I think people are getting very tunneled visioned and they they pick out this one rule and they're like, okay, we can do that without doing their due diligence and saying, well, okay, this one rule now affects this rule that there's a domino effect. You even have to know, like we mentioned before, what your state is doing. And many states have let their public health emergency specific rules in their state lapse or end. And I noticed that, um, you know, Medicare, you actually put out something this morning on our listserv about the, the PICO starting up again just be you know we're at the we're really towards the end of this phe and a lot of things have started up again and one of the things is about crossing state lines if you don't have a valid license um i don't know if you're seeing that as well oh absolutely i mean all it so we set up a ton of clients on telemedicine 
when the pandemic first hit. I mean, that's yeah, sort of. Right, I, yeah. It's not all we were doing, but it seemed like it was an awful lot of what we yeah, were doing. Yeah, it seemed like the took and us over. you know, even though there were some states that uh, allowed you to practice, uh, meaning that seeing a you know, if you're in Florida and the patients in Michigan, um, you know, in some cases you weren't required to get licensed in Michigan. They were doing, they were allowing you to be reciprocal with the license that you had in your existing state. Well, even with all our clients that we set up, we got them licensed in the other state anyways, because they're going to have to do this if they're going to continue doing this after the pandemic. And you don't want to play catch up at that point, because then you're going to have to stop everything, get licensed in the states that you want to be seeing patients in, and then you can fire it back up again. Well, that's just going to slow your cash flow down you know, uh, unstabilize your business operations and so on. So it just behooves you to, you know, when we set up telemedicine practices, we follow all the regulations and requirements prior to the pandemic because you're not doing this just temporarily. And if you are, it's not going to pay out. Um, You can't just run a business off of telemedicine. Uh, In some cases, you might be able to, but it's going to be a rare occasion that you're going to run your business just doing telemedicine. So you want to be prepared for when those waivers disappear, when the rules kind of go away, all these exceptions and waivers go away. And that way you can run and operate your business uh, without concern going forward. So again, it goes back to my comment earlier. You know, you've got to look at all the requirements. You got to look at the federal requirement. You got to look at the state requirement. You've got to look at your payer requirement and those who hold the gold make their own rules. Every payer has their own rules. Every state has their own rules and the federal government has its own rules and they all conflict with each other many times. So you really have to understand on what this rule says and what it means when you have the state rule that requires something different. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and actually, uh, one of our members, um, shout out to Cindy Walker, she put together, she's a billing service um, in the South, and she put together this fantastic spreadsheet on all the commercial plans and what they're doing on telehealth and what their coverages are. I'm glad I didn't have to put that together. I was looking at that and it took me probably two hours just to review what has taken her, you know, weeks and weeks to continue to update. And she can, she continues to update us one, one benefit of being a member of our organization. But it's, it's crazy about, you know, we always talk about interoperability and everything meshing. Yeah. This is one of those topics that everybody's doing their own thing and it doesn't necessarily mesh because it, it's expensive to the payers. And so. And because also we saw such an increase and an influx, which was necessary. I mean, you know, don't get us wrong. We love telehealth. I mean, that's, it's a great thing to have, but remember it's not a separate specialty. It is a different delivery of medicine. So it's really an adjunct to what you're already doing in your practice. And if you keep your, your eye on that and realize that it's just another way to deliver medicine to a patient, I think you'll definitely be uh, more compliant and not, and realize that it's, it's not a, it's not everything. It's like you were saying before, you know, it helping trying to treat patients also in some other kind of uh, face-to-face way will actually, you know, help your practice in the future. So moving on as far as the talking about the future, how how would you recommend for, you know, our clients and our listeners 
to prepare for after the PHE when Congress can't even agree on the level of expansion. Everything seems to be very politically motivated, not just patient care motivated. And OIG fraud is rampant right now under telehealth and telemedicine and telemarketing scams. Um, you know, what I try to say is, is really look at the big picture. Um, if you're going to go all in, you need to stay on top of it as far as the regulations, because we know some of the expansions are going to stay mental health and rural health clinics, but they really need to focus on broadband and broad width and who has access to, you know, um, good internet. But what do you say to people who are just purchasing all kinds of equipment to be, the telehealth, you know, capital of their universe without really knowing what the future holds? Well, you know, you've, you've got two things here. You've got telehealth and you have telemedicine, yeah. um, which are definitely two different types of services. Uh, telemedicine is the act of uh, conducting a, a visit um, remotely with a patient, whereas telehealth is other things like remote patient monitoring, um, you're using other types of equipment to communicate data back and forth. It's not about talking to a patient and, you know, conducting an office visit remotely. Um, so from that standpoint, yes, there are different rules, there's different codes uh, and all kinds of uh, regulations that allow that uh, either allow you to bill for those services and to ensure that you're billing it appropriately. I mean, telehealth. You know, even to provide telehealth services, you've got to have a certain number of days that you're uh, tracking measurements, especially like if you're doing um, something to the extent of, you know, tracking hypertension and things like that. You've got to have so many days that you track that that measurement in order to be able to bill a code. Um, you've got so many minutes of communication that has to occur with the patient uh, in order to bill another code. Uh, from a telemedicine standpoint, you know, you've got audio, vid, vid, audio and video requirements that uh, have been mandated since the beginning of telemedicine that are going to go back that way once the waivers and the pandemic are over. So, you know, as I said prior, set yourself up to operate as if there wasn't a pandemic and operate that way. And then when you're allowed to make exceptions because of certain waivers, when you're allowed to make an, a voice-only visit, then you can do so, but make sure that it qualifies with the feds, it qualifies with the state, and it qualifies with the payer that's going to pay you for the visit. Um, because if one of those doesn't qualify or you don't meet the requirements, guess what? You're either not going to get paid or you're going to get investigated and you're going to have to return the money. And then you have the potential for it being, you know, considered a false claim or a fraudulent claim or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then it, you just start creating more issues for yourself. It's all about setting your business up to be proactive and not reactive to things that you should have known in the first place. Oh, yeah. um, and I realize it's difficult operating in any industry. You need to really be aware of what the regulations and requirements are. And operating in healthcare is very difficult to do. Heck, I'm a certified compliance officer and consultant, and I can't keep up with it. And that's my job. <laughs> um, I'm on hundreds of listservs, and you know, I'm listening to you know, I'm on a, a Teams meeting today with CMS and the entire Pecos Power User Group, 
And we're learning that revalidations are coming back live as of October 31st. Um, and trying to make sure that you're staying on top of all this. If you're not aware that this is going live in October 31st, you may be dead in the water trying to get your revalidate or not getting your revalidation done. And then your Medicare enrollment expires. And then you can't service Medicare Advantage patients. And, you know, it just kind of steamrolls and snowballs. Yeah. So you really have to follow the regulations. And if you can't do that yourself, as I tell all my clients, you've got to surround yourself with the experts that you need. If you're not an expert in this, then you've got to find somebody that's going to help protect you so that you can continue operating in your, the career that, of your chosen field and be able to bill for those services. Otherwise, it's going to shut you down at some point, and nobody wants that. You don't want it. We don't want it. And it's all about making sure that you've got the right people assisting you to make sure that you're doing things properly. And if you want to wing it, then you're taking on the risk. Right. Um, but I don't suggest winging it. Not today with all the regulations that we have to, you know, follow and the hoops that we have to jump through. And sometimes you don't, you know, you do all the studying and um, research that you possibly can, and you still miss requirements that you're supposed to meet. Um, so that's why I say surround yourself with the people that know what's going on. Right. And remember, you know, to our listeners, it's not just about your state, even though that's where you need to focus. It's also across the state line. It can be where, you know, the patient could be vacationing if they want to see you for, via telehealth. It could be, you know, um, some new rules that are where maybe the physicians place the services where they're actually uh, practicing out of and things like that. So there are a lot of moving pieces to telehealth that we just, you have to be proactive and make sure that you're on top of what's going on. And like David said, if if you just don't have the staff or the the time to make sure that you're updated on all this information, please contact, you know, one of us, you can get a hold of David at nschbc.org and go to the consultant tab and you can type in his first name and the information will pop up for you, any of our consultants um, at our society. Um, and you can also go to uh, Zetter. Is it Zetter.com, David? Yes, it is. Zetter.com as well. And so, you know, we try to really bring you a lot of information uh, and keep you current and make sure that we're on top of it. But it is uh, it's, it's, it is a, a lot to do and, and making sure that we're on top of that. Well, we would like to thank David Zetter today for being on our podcast. And we always appreciate his regulatory insights into this very argued topic and also uh, a topic that everyone uh, needs as much information as they can. So, David, we really appreciate you being here today. I appreciate you having me and have a very happy birthday and tell your husband to take you out for a nice big meal. <laughs> Thank you. We actually are today. So everyone, we hope that our episode today answered some questions, those tough questions and armed you with new knowledge that you didn't have before. You're only as credible as your current information. It's one of those, what have you done for me lately? So subscribe and download to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. As a reminder to our listeners, the NSCHBC website and nschbc.org has a fourth quarter Medicare webinar update coming up in December. We also have free webinars each month for members. So again, nschbc.org and consider membership. That's it for us today, everyone. Please join us next month for another episode of the NSCHBC Edge podcast. This is Terry Fletcher. Until next time, make it a great day and a great rest of your month. And thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. 
Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.